1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes, until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Hey, Squash community. Welcome to your next fix of the Squash Mind podcast series. I hope, as always, you're enjoying what you're listening to so far and taking away a lot of messages that can help you both in your game and in your life in general. So I welcome back to the show, Gareth Mole. We had a really brilliant chat a few months ago in part one of this conversation. And yeah, we just went on for around about an hour and a half and it didn't even feel like we had scratched the surface. So Gareth Mole runs and owns Condor Performance, which is the largest independent sports and psychology practice in Australia. And we just clicked. We just got on really well. And as we finished the first show, we decided that it's going to be a good idea to take a deeper dive into a few key topics and not go as broad as the first one. I think it was really good to go broad and touch on little different points, but we decided to really look deeply at three or four topics in particular and discuss our thoughts around these. I feel really lucky to have been able to spend this time with Gareth because he is a man in high demand. His practice and his work is really busy at the moment. He's got so many clients and he's doing a really fantastic job of it. And I think you're going to really take a lot out of this conversation. So Gareth and I decided to take a deeper dive into goal setting. Is this actually a useful thing to do? We also look at how players can convert training into performance, which often happens that players are training well, doing the right thing, but they're not able to get that conversion across. We take a bit of a deeper dive into psychological boosters and especially non-traditional ones. He did a great video recently on Instagram talking about getting in touch with nature and how sometimes some of the most powerful psychological boosters are on our doorstep free of charge that we probably don't access enough. And in the final bit of the chat we touch on the Condo Performance Conference that he recently hosted as well as his blogs around the performance mindset, which was originally going to be a book, and he separated them into chunks and is producing them on his website. I really love reading these blogs. They are so insightful. They give me so much pause for thought and really try and mold the way I'm looking at the mind and working with my players. So I think there's going to be a lot to extract from this conversation. Hope you have your notepads and pens at the ready. And please welcome Gareth Mole for his second outing on the Squash Mind podcast series. Gareth Mull, welcome back to the Squash Mind podcast. How are you keeping?
2: Very good, Jesse. Thanks for allowing me to come back and have another
0: crack. Yeah, no, I think we were, ch- we were chatting after our last call and we were like, you know, we-, we could take this in so many different directions. So what we've done is we try to narrow it down a little bit today. We had a bit of a chat before this and gone, right, let's look at maybe three topics and, and four topics possibly and go a little bit deep with it. So right, the big one on my mind's goal setting. And Mm -hmm. I've wrestled with goal setting a while and I've tried different methods, you know, process, performance, outcome goals on a personal level. I never felt it stuck when I was a pro player. I don't think I've Mm. really got the solution as a coach yet. And for me, you're you're the man to talk about this with. So where are you at with goal setting?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good opening question, Jesse, because it is the most, uh, it's, it's the most obvious mental skill, isn't it? If you, if you Google mental skills for any sport, you know, uh, they're going to be a lot of examples of of goal setting. So um, I suppose a reasonable way to answer the question is, you know, I've been practicing now for 15 years and I've done less and less goal setting as that time has gone by. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's probably because I don't believe it is nearly as important as the reputation that it gets. And maybe we can just unpack why it's not as necessary as um, I used to believe it was. So, I mean, essentially speaking, a goal setting, whichever version you use uh, is about setting result goals for the future. Yes, that's normally how it goes. So, you know, I would like to be ranked in the top 50, uh, you know, squash players um, in New South Wales, Uh, by 2025 Um, so that's normally central to most goal-setting theories it's like what would you like to achieve in the future and then we'll sort of work our way um, backwards there's a couple of flaws in that Uh, the first thing uh, is and I think this is a nice um, sort of segue to our first conversation is those are outcomes right so they're results uh, and therefore we don't have that much influence over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the uh, I suppose, mindset that we're most often looking to correct, which is very, very common, is this concept that, well, if you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything. I don't know who came up with that, <laughs> but I'd like, to, I'd like to have a very stern word with him or her, Okay because it 's just not true, uh, the real sentence, which doesn 't sound as catchy but it 's much more accurate, is if you put your mind to something, you increase the chances of it happening until something incredibly unfortunate comes along like a coronavirus exactly. um, and catchy. so uh, yes, not nearly as not nearly as catchy so uh, goal setting uh, setting um, outcome goals is inherently flawed because what it 's basically saying is the most important thing for you to do is to choose something that you don't have a huge amount of influence on. And in fact, maybe the fact that the Olympics um, had to be canceled and then maybe even the next one is not even that certain. Maybe that's a very good example. I mean, can you imagine Mm. just the unbelievable number of athletes who had on their, on their goal setting sheet, um, you know, to win a medal or to qualify for the uh, Uh, for for the Olympic games in Tokyo. And then of course um, uh, for reasons that they had nothing to do, uh, had nothing to do with uh, those goals uh, were now no longer possible. And I think that's the second issue with goal setting. It's okay. If I have a client and they come to me with some goals or they say, should I set some goals? I don't say no. I say, yep, sure. Go ahead. And I'll write them down. Um. And one of the things I will do if they do that is I will make it incredibly clear that the amount of influence they have on actually reaching the top 50 uh, or winning that medal or getting picked for Manchester United is far lower than everyone else is implying, right? It's far less. It's far less likely. So so we want to get back to a little bit of reality. Um, And if they know that, then they can keep the goals. Mm -hmm. They can absolutely keep the goals. So, Big difference between, you know, my goal in four years' time is to be the number one squash player in England. And uh, in quote marks, if I don't do that, it's entirely my fault. Right. Versus in three years' time, I have the goal of being the number one squash player in England. And uh, if I don't get there, there's probably some very good reasons. For example, a whole bunch of other people who would like to also. Achieve that position. Yes. Um, very different way uh, of going about it. So, if someone that I'm working with is setting some goals and they have a good appreciation of the amount of influence they have uh, on on those goals, mm-hmm. and for individual sports, those goal, the amount of influence will be a little bit higher. For team sport athletes, the amount of influence will be lower because, of course, you might be incredibly well prepared, but your teammates maybe less so Um, as long as they know that then it's okay, but it isn't a critical part of uh, the work that we do when people don't have goals and they say, well, you know, what do I need to sort of, you know, drive me forward? You know, often, you know, I just sort of say the same reason that you got started in the sport in the first place Um, uh, that can be, more than enough motivation to get you from one uh, position you know to the next so uh, i don't think goal setting is necessarily bad i think if it's done accurately like i was describing there that it's okay but i'm also quite happy to work with a client who says you know what i don't have any goals yeah. my my goal my goal is to really nail down my processes mm-hmm. and Uh, let's monitor, let's observe what happens when every week I'm trying my hardest to do the right thing. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's very much the way that I'm sort of moving now. It's let's lock down the processes, the things that you've got the most amount of influence on. Mm -hmm. If you really want to know for sure that you're improving, then yeah, let's measure something at the end of each month. And then we can compare it to the previous uh, month. Um, but those are still probably not going to be the things that you would choose in goal setting, like rankings and number of tournaments when it's probably going to be stuff like your, you know, your, your beep test score or your, Mm. how flexible you are, um, or how many, you know, shots you can hit to a circle of a certain size from a ball machine, that kind of thing. It's, it's probably not going to be, you know, uh, well my ranking is improved, by this many positions uh, which
0: which means that i'm i'm on track does that make sense yeah totally and, and and there's so much i want to unpack there with you um so this is this is where i've been thinking about it a little bit i think i've i've not started well, I've, I've called it more a dream rather than a goal like we can have a dream but we're not going to hang our mm. hat on that we're not going to go mm. right we're going to pin this to the wall and we're going to our whole life is directed at that but to have this mm. Slightly distant idea of yes, let's let's have a dream, but you know what? Let's just leave it as this this dream state in a way. I think that's yeah. where I struggle with goal setting as a, as a player. It was it was such a it was quite a formal process you know we'd sit down we'd we'd yeah. plot it on paper we'd write things we'd have you know affirmations around we'd check in every month and you know what after three or four months it just it almost just all disappeared it just became mm. I don't know because maybe the measurability wasn't quite there but I wanna I wanna talk about you wrote a really brilliant article which which I've I've taken a lot of little things out of it was along the line of perfectionism. And I think you mm-hmm. brought it down in regard to, like, I think you talked about goal setting. So if we have our outcome goal at our top, our performance goals in the middle and our process goals at the bottom, I think you talked about, and I don't want to talk for you, but you, you inverted it that quite a lot of yes. people are outcome perfectionists and you were inverting that. Can you expand on that?
2: Yeah, so yeah, that's, a, that's a, I forgot that, uh, about that article. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> oh, um, so, I, I love that one. I've so, read
0: it several times.
2: Traditional goal setting will be you set the, you know, the outcome goals um, and then you basically work out the processes that you feel like you need to achieve those goals. It's just inherently the wrong way around. Uh, it's just inherently the wrong way around. It's literally putting the cart before the horse. Um, what we're looking to do is to go um and it comes back to the amount of influence that you have on things it, it, it always it almost always comes back down to that the the way you want to go about things is to go it's it's nowhere near as exciting but it's a lot more it's a lot more sensible is go you know okay how much time would i want to spend in any given week on my my performance uh improvement you know whether it be squash or any other sport and you can apply this to anything it could be a you know, somebody trying to be an actor um, and take that amount of time. You know, let's just pluck a number out of the air. Let's say someone goes, you yeah, know, I'm going to spend five hours a week uh, on my squash. Okay, mm-hmm. five hours. So that's that's what we want to start with. If you're going to be a perfectionist, if you're going to sit there thinking, how do I make this thing better? Do it on that five hours. Right. Do it about that five hours. Ask yourself the question, am I getting everything out of these five hours. Remember it's only five hours,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. right? So I'm not saying that you would want to be a perfectionist about your entire week, 168, seven, seven times 24. We don't need to go that far. We're only saying five Hours, so five times, 60, 300 minutes. Break it down into minutes if you need to. Be a perfectionist about those 300 minutes first. Ask yourself, are you getting the right balance between mental and physical, technical, tactical? Maybe we need to include some lifestyle, some mental health and well-being aspects in there. Break down the quality and the quantity of those processes because all too often they're confused. Don't think that just because you're doing 20 minutes of stretching, that that's actually 20 minutes of stretching, it could be three minutes of stretching, and 17 minutes of nothing, which is fine, if you plan to do the nothing, (laughs) nothing wrong with nothing. But don't pretend that, um, you know, 20 minutes of stretching is 20 minutes of stretching when you're including the getting changed into your stretching stuff and all of that stuff. So be a perfectionist about that and start with that. That's the bit that you want to get right first. Okay. Once you've done that, then let's see where that takes you. Okay. Mm. Let's see where that takes you. And of course, your first crack at it, you're going to then go and do it. And you're going to go, you know what, this isn't quite right. You know, I do slightly better if I do my cardio after my stretching, you play around with it and so on. There's nothing wrong with that. At some point, if you tinker around with those processes, you're likely to end up with something that's quite consistent. In other words, you're not changing it very much anymore because there's no need. Uh, maybe need only teeny tiny adjustments. At that point, and only at that point, would I then bring in what are called performance goals. And these are: okay, is my flexibility actually improving? Let me do a stretch and reach test. Is my um, is my mental toughness? improving you know let me fill out you know a a questionnaire that's designed to um, assess that okay and then you continue and if you are spending significant amount of time for example you know on the boast shot um, as part of your processes and then you measure you try and measure the accuracy of your boast shot and you're dissatisfied with what you find out then then there's a reasonable argument to say that maybe you need to second guess those processes a little bit because surely if you were spending you know considerable time on a weekly basis Mm. on something that specific that that would then show up it's not a guarantee because of course performance goals are still outcomes which means they're way lower in influence Um, and then only then and I might segue back into what you said about the dreaming concept. Only then would we then go, well, maybe we now need to measure something that's bigger picture, okay. squash ranking, prize money. But I totally agree you. I find that in my work, you very rarely need the third stage because, mm-hmm. you, well, for, for two reasons. One is most of the time those, those achievements, um, when they happen they're bloody obvious. They're, you know, like I don't need to write down that I just, you know, won the New South Wales masters, you Mm. know, it's, I was there, the guy gave me the cup. I was like, you know, I don't need that, you know, some pictures and so on and so forth. So I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think the idea of, of a, of a dream Mm. being a more appropriate label for that um, for the, for the cart yeah. if the processes are, are the horse um uh dragging the other stuff along the more appropriate um name i think for the for the cart would would be for for, for the dream you know and there's absolutely nothing uh wrong with that and i think the idea of you having a dream which does guide uh, in a very gentle way some of your direction i think is yeah. very nice mm-hmm. um and it's probably how I would recommend most people go about, you know, the concept of of goal setting. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it should be renamed. Maybe this is a watershed moment in <laughs> international sports psychology where we can uh, say, instead of goal setting, you know, maybe it's maybe it's um, you know process setting. Um, you know, with some influence on your dreams, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. No, you're speaking a lot of, lot of sense there, and I love the way you put it. And uh, one analogy, and I probably need to work on this analogy a little bit. I, I like to think of it, you're, you're standing on the edge of a jungle and you need to get to the middle of the jungle but you, you don't know where the middle of the jungle is. And for me, the, the, the main goal of the dream is just making you face in the right direction. So you've got a rough facing. I'm facing that way, but the path is mm. going to be really windy. You're going to have to chop things away. You're going to have to build bridges. You're going to have to go back to go around obstacles. And for me, that's what I like to think about the processes is going actually what's in my immediate vicinity that I can mm. have a slight influence over. But I know my general compass is pointing in that direction. And yes, there's going to be divergences and paths and crap along the way basically and yeah i'm probably yes. going to work a little bit more on that analogy but it's for me it feels like no it's a, it's, a, yeah, a, it's it's
2: it's a very good it's a very good one and the analogy is very good you know i am i'm, I'm a sucker to a good analogy as everybody <laughs> who's ever met me knows yes, yes. um i think it's a very good one you know it's the, the you you we're not dismissing we're not dismissing the natural um human ability to want something in the future Mm. Uh, we're not dismissing that at all. In fact, uh, uh, almost the opposite. We're saying that if you didn't have that at all, you know, if if if, if there was somebody who literally couldn't uh, think about the future, that person um, would be missing something. So even though they've got their processes sorted, and they they, they may be missing uh, something, um, but the overwhelming majority of the time, you would expect is going to be spent in the trenches. Mm -hmm. Uh, on the processes Um, and like you said you don't need to have it written down Mm -hmm. um, or plastered up on the wall in fact there's an argument say if it needs to be written down or actually stuck on a poster Mm -hmm. then of course it's vulnerable because I can go and spray paint that you know (laughs)
0: yeah
2: you know like all the professional sporting teams are putting all these slogans up on the wall I'm like well so you have to be playing in the dressing room (laughs) <laughs> you know, the rugby match has to take place in the dressing room for that slogan to, to be any good. Why don't we put the slogans in their in their minds by talking about some processes, which means that those mantras aren't bumper stickers, but are things that are just they're naturally thinking uh, about, which is quite possible. Language teachers do it all the time. They literally all the time will teach someone to use new words permanently that they never knew before. You take the same principle, you put it into the concept of of a mantra uh, or a or a cue word, um, and it's now not only uh, much more personal, uh, but it's also much more reliable because it's not something that they need to then check on a, a written document uh, or pull out a piece of paper or read on the sort of the, the dressing room mm-hmm. wall. So I have been in, I, I had had a couple of interesting. Discussions with people, you know, yeah. and I said, "Can we take all the slogans off the walls, please?" <laughs> How did that so, go? Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. Well, with with enough opportunity to explain the the logic behind it, I think the general premise was, "Well, look, can we do both? Can we leave yeah. it up there?" Yes, yeah, ab- you know, absolutely, we can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that you know, goal setting, um, you know, I think the the most of your listeners would probably have come across the smart goals and depending on which version, yes, depending on which, which one, um, uh, you know, which version of the S M A R T um, you know, talking as someone who, so on behalf of a group of 11 soon to be 12 uh, performance psychologists and sports psychologists, we have never, nor will we ever use smart goals either with ourselves or with our clients so um even though it still shows up very high in google when you punch in goal setting
0: mm-hmm. that's what i find is is, is interesting you you hear the, the athletes talk about conor mcgregor visualizing himself with the belt or you know it's like yes i always had this and and you know it, people kind of think maybe it's a a fast track to success is going, yes, like you said at the beginning, if you believe it, you're going to make it happen. And then you hear, it's a nice narrative. It's a nice documentary on Netflix to say, yes, there's eight years old. The person saw themselves on the podium and that, and yeah, just on that smart thing as well. It is, it comes up so often. If you just type in goal setting, it's it, yeah, it kind of, it, it, I've tried it three or four times when I was a player, none of it stuck. And, and so, mm. as a, you know, not a sports psychology practitioner, but as a coach trying to help people, yeah, it definitely doesn't come into, into my radar. So last thing on goal setting. Um, so what do you think of, about that idea that I said with, with athletes talking about it so much, and then a young person an athlete comes to you and goes, Hey, but so-and-so said they saw themselves on the podium at eight years old. What, what type of conversation do you have there?
2: Visualizing yourself in future successful situations and goal setting for me are, are not one and the same mm-hmm. so for me goal setting was much how like how you described it which is like that formal okay guys it's the it's the pre-season right you know what, what you know whether it be team sport or coach and you know athlete right? what are we going to aim for this season you know it's going to be qualified for this tournament and And when I think of goal setting, that's what I think of Um, visualizing. We wouldn't want to confuse visualizing with goal setting. We wouldn't want to put them into the same basket. So uh, the way I would, well, this is how I'd respond to that question. It's a good question. This is how I'd respond to it. So, okay. Such and such said that when they were young, your age, they would visualize themselves um, winning, you know, uh, prestigious, uh, well-known events. So what I would basically say to the the person is: Do you believe that you would benefit from visualizing or imagining yourself winning the U.S. Masters, the you know Olympic gold medal, you know the British Open, these kinds of things? Uh, do you think you're going to benefit from that? And then wait, because what generally happens is a lot of the times you'll get people, especially youngsters, going, you know what it actually just adds unnecessary pressure, right? Like, you know, I I don't want to, I don't want to link, you know, the, you know, my every waking moment to this one moment in 10 years that may even not happen, you know, um, particularly with the sort of the current, you know, circumstances. So that's how I would go about it. If they say, you know what, yeah, I, I really, really would benefit from, um, picturing myself in in those situations then my answer to them would be okay well let's do it for three minutes every week um and incorporate it as part of your process let's not do it let's not do it when you think about it Mm -hmm. can we take that can we take that activity um and it it is an action or it can certainly can be an action can we take that activity that task and put it into your processes Mm -hmm. okay now If after six weeks of you doing it for three minutes every, you know, Monday morning, um, you think that it's no longer necessary, well then ditch it. Mm. Um, Please don't keep doing it just because, you know, you thought it was a good idea. And then you'll probably come full circle with most people where they'll be like, you know what? I don't actually need to do it that often. It's enough for me just to, Uh, have a a kind of a a dream that word is is very very uh, applicable Mm -hmm. a kind of a just a sense you know of where the middle of the forest is vaguely so that at least when I'm hacking down these bushes I'm not going in the total opposite direction I don't need to be going 180 directly perpendicular to the middle of the forest but it would be quite useful to know that I'm not building a bridge in the opposite direction Mm -hmm. that's all that we need.
0: Yeah, it's Uh, it's that uh, other, not analogy, but the word, uh, you've got your ladder up against the wrong wall. I'm always coming back to that saying when I'm thinking about goal setting. Have you got your ladder up against the wrong wall? You know, you need to put that ladder uh, up against the right one. But I think that there's some really strong messages there, Gareth, and and I really love what you're saying. And I think this might link really nicely to our, our second topic I wanted to dive into. And it really almost to leave goal setting there. I love that concept of, um, be a perfectionist in your, in your processes that, that process perfectionist, I think is such a strong message and, and, and you've mm. um, highlighted that in your blog, but this links to the, the next point is converting training into performance. So yep. say someone is doing all the right things. They are, they are really getting stuck in with their processes. They are right. It's going well, but that conversion, that tangible result is not, is not there. And, and, mm. and I've got a few players I'm, I'm really trying to work with at the moment. And they they trusting the process. They're doing the right thing, but that conversion from training into performance is not there. So how, let's dive into that. What, what comes to mind when I say that?
2: Yeah. So, um, I mean, what really pops into my mind is Usain Bolt uh, when people talk about that, um, uh, and the the I suppose the the habit that he got into when he was at his most successful of basically just mentally separating preparation from a competition or preparation from performance um and i think what happens most of the time in those situations is that the motor skill so i mean this starts to get a little bit uh a little bit geeky but that's okay i know you love a little bit oh, of yeah. uh, I'm there, I'm there a little you. bit of technical talk so <laughs> it this boils down to um the the automaticity of motor skills right so it boils down to the amount of mental energy that you use to brush your teeth this morning which i'm guessing was zero right and you you still brushed your teeth and you did a good job of it because basically what you've done like most people is you've repeated a, a motor skill in this case um brushing your teeth uh you could apply it to any motor skill, hitting a, hitting a squash ball, uh, driving a car, um, any motor skill, um, you repeated it enough whereby the motor skill has gone from what they call the cognitive stage uh, to the automatic stage. So literally from the, I have to think about it because I've never brushed my teeth stage, to the, I now don't need to think about it. And where those automatic motor skills are vulnerable And just to put this back into squash for your listeners, this is any squash shot of any squash player other than absolute beginners. We're talking about anybody who's been playing squash for more than a few months and the ability to hit the squash ball will be um, automatic. It will become uh, an automatic uh, action. There's big debates on how many hours you need to spend to make something automatic. I think there was a, a, a u.s scholar who literally wanted to know that answer and it was a remarkably small number of hours i think for motor skills it was about 30 uh, hours wow. total like yeah so um and when these motor skills become automatic then the most effective way to completely stuff them up is to try really hard to do them well yes i love that Yes. So, and you could, trust me. Okay. Get into your car later. You know, I've got, you know, you've got to shoot off after this and try really, really hard to focus on the different components of driving. Okay. And good luck with that. Yeah. I'm not going to be your passenger. Tell you that much. Right. <laughs> so uh, in the next tonight, when you brush your teeth, I want you to really, really think about how each of those bristles is going to. And what will happen is the natural movement mm. that you've developed over years of doing these things will be totally compromised by the fact that you um, are uh, are now essentially bringing a automatic uh, muscle memory movement to the front part of your brain. And so, what you're doing is you're going back to beginner beginner's um, phase. You're going you're you're, you're forcing yourself to, to to go back to do those actions the same way that a beginner. Would, because of course, remember when you were a beginner, when you were learning to brush your teeth, when you were small, when you were learning to drive a car, when you were first learning to hit a squash ball, it was very cognitive because you hadn't done it before. So that's absolutely fine. So how do we help people convert training into performance? One of the simplest ways is to get them to literally just be present and relaxed when it comes to their competition. Now that often means going against what everybody else is telling them, you know where suddenly there's a coach there, and uh, you know, okay, you know if we win this, we get into the semi finals and so on and so forth and it's you know the job of the individual to develop a mindset where, despite all of that um all of that uh incorrect but well intended advice yeah. uh, they can still be as relaxed as possible and The reason why Usain Bolt always pops into my head is because. You could argue that from a kind of a pressure point of view, I mean, really, you know, individual sport, it lasts for 10 seconds, right? Um, It's, you know, broadcast Olympic Games and World Championships all over the world, et cetera, et cetera. No teammates, coach isn't allowed anywhere near there, et cetera, et cetera. And the guy, if you see him in the moments before getting onto the starting blocks, looks like he's on holiday. Brilliant. He's, Brilliant. Chatting with, he's chatting with, he's chatting, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, And we're only now just realizing just how advanced and ahead of his time from a, mm. from a psychological point of view um, he was, he, he knew that there was absolutely nothing that he could do mm-hmm. once he got to an Olympic games or to a major championship. Nice. So he would then in, focus entirely on relaxation and just, you know, enjoying the experience. And then all those countless hours that he spent slogging away in back in Jamaica during that preparation phase, they were there. They were just waiting to be unleashed. And I suppose that's the other part to converting training into, into performance. It's, it's really about trusting the preparation irrespective of how good you thought it was. That's where people often fall down. They're like, well, Oh, well, I'll trust my training, but only if it went well. I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. Trust, proper trust is trust. Trust is, you know, what I did was my best and I will trust that that was enough. We can't say, well, I'll trust it if it felt like it was really effective, but then I won't trust it if, you know, I missed a couple of days because I had a, a, a tummy ache. And so, you know, I'm slightly over underdone. Now we are setting ourselves self up to that likelihood that we go in we try too hard Mm. the natural muscle memory then gets um, compromised Mm. um, because we're pushing something that's very automatic that requires almost no uh, front of brain thinking um, and we're converting it to to, you know back to the state uh, when you were learning it for the first time so that that's the general advice that I would have uh, for most people is irrespective of the amount of hype uh, around you know your particular sport and the coaches and so on and so forth trust your training be as relaxed as you possibly can Mm -hmm. and see how see how you go and compare that to times where you were really really eager to do well and potentially tried far too hard
0: Oh, amazing. Like what you've said there, I've, I've just written quite a few notes that I want to unpack and, and go with here. So um, the first thing I want to talk about, it, it com- makes complete sense. And I wanted to stay with you, Usain Bolt bit, but the idea about being too jokey or too relaxed, so someone I'm working with, but I'll, I'll give you the quick little story here. Um, mm. she, again, very perfectionist, great trainer, leaves no stone mm. unturned. And we're having this discussion that when she played, she almost felt like she had to have her body language matching her training. So intensity, purpose, really hunting mm. on the tee. And I, I basically said to her, right, before every serve, you're going to roll your shoulders. You're going to relax. You're almost going to dance before the return of serve. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be terrible. We, she reported back, she said, I've never felt as quick I anticipated the ball more than I've done before. And I was just releasing my follow through because she was playing with this nervous tension. this this real, she Mm. trained in a way that was very formal, very structured. And and that's her Mm. character. And she was very unwilling to let go of that when she came to the performance. And it's only been a a small data point though. So I can't necessarily say it'll work all the time. But Mm. He was massively surprised at how, you know what, almost just flopping, almost just going, right, I'm going to chill on Mm. So what's that conversation like with an athlete uh, i suppose trust comes into it where where it's 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 actually against what they've been training like and the way they they're they're you know structuring 90% of their of their day or their their training. Mm. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the most obvious answer is is back default back to processes. So I mean, your example there of of that of that female squash player, I would be and you might've already done this, um, I would be saying, okay, uh, let's get the shoulders rolling. I think you said, mm-hmm. let's get that as a permanent feature now. So let's get that happening in the, in the training context as well. Um, or, you know, basically uh, always. So irrespective of the situation before you hit a squash ball against a wall. Mm-hmm. Okay competition actually in a squash court or mentally as part of visual uh as, as part of some kind of mental rehearsal then you do your uh, shoulder rolling and ideally be, it would be part of some kind of pre-serve routine mm-hmm. um and so that but that part then becomes um h- habitualized um so that's probably you know my my initial response to that particular uh, situation but i mean the the idea that training uh, needs to be um, you know all all hard work, and then we we chill out and we relax in um, in, in competitions it 's not quite as black and white as that you know what we 're basically saying is that if if we 're to be really you know, specific about what we're trying to refer to here. We're basically saying preparation by its definition, by its design, is designed to prepare. It's designed to uh, it's designed to make sure that when you need those skills, you don't need to go looking for them. That's how you would want to describe it. You know, I mean and the the, the military do this very well, you know, the military do this very well. They're like, what sorts of situations are you gonna to need to, to be in in a war zone and we're going to replicate them so that when you're in a war zone you don't need to go and go hey guys how does this bazooka work (laughs) like
0: hey hey google hey bill google
2: the uh
0: (laughs) where's the manufacturer's guide for this bazooka like come and bring it out yeah What's the
2: YouTube video on bazookas? You know, made in Mozambique. This one looks all suspect. Uh, so uh, they've got it. They've got it right. Um, and I think uh, sometimes, and I and I'm sympathetic to this. Sometimes people then think, well, that means that um, preparation is all work, 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 uh, kind of thing. Well, no, not necessarily. And, you know, you touch on personality, it might be for certain people, it it might feel more appropriate uh, to do that. But if someone is of the personality whereby, you know, half of their preparation time is really formal, and there's no smiling, um, and they need the other half to be, you know, joking around, Oh, let's go for a coffee. And yay, that was a great shot that you played in, all of that stuff. If that's that person's personality, then that's fine. But that second half is still processes. No, they're still processes. Mm -hmm. So Don't then skip out on that stuff Mm -hmm. and only do the formal stuff. Uh, Do both and prioritize both and regard both as, as important but they all then do the same thing they're saying that you're doing all of these things in preparation so that on the day of the performance on the day of the competition the ideal uh, mindset they were looking for is really just basically get your equipment get to the venue in plenty of time make sure that you are physically prepared to do the thing that you're about to do mm. and trust everything else that's really what we're what we're saying so that's how i would answer that question
0: yeah no there's a couple of good good points there um on one of my experiences i, I was quite an intense play intense trainer, quite angry played on the edge so i went through a bit of a process where I, I almost went fully the other way where it was all chilled relaxed almost turning into a bit of a hippie mode and i just remember mm. i i remember playing a match and it was i just felt so great it was perfect it was brilliant i felt everything was flowing i lost three love And so I was Mm. so far the other way that I was actually just almost not, I became, I became passive in the way I was playing. And then that's Mm. a little dangerous balance to get. Yes. We want to be relaxed and chilled. And that's where this girl I'm working with was, was talking about that going, well, if I don't feel I'm, I'm on it, I'm just going to have no impact on the game. I'm just going to be so, so flowy that there's no, there's no bites to my game. Any, any thoughts on that or how would you address that?
2: Uh, Yeah. Again, you know, Usain Bolt was not stopping after 50 meters to wave to the crowd, you know, so you can do both um, and you can do both um, and change between the two very fast, you know, so you can go from being, you know, relaxed um, and looking very relaxed and calm as part of your pre-point routine pre-serve routine or a pre-return routine you can be very relaxed and look very calm and positive there and once the ball has been hit or either by you or, or your opponent you can switch instantly into a very intense I'm going to chase this down like it's it's my life depends on it type of of mode and then when the point's finished you can switch back so the idea that we have to choose and then whether to be, you know, intense or relaxed. And then that decision then means that we're going to be like that for the rest of the day or the week or or whatever. That's completely, Mm. that's completely, you know, incorrect. So, you know, I I would be asking, you know, uh, listeners uh, athletes uh, to consider when are the moments in your preparation and when are the moments in your performance, when you, are going to be most effective when you are, uh, in, in, in work mode in, you know, high effort mode, we could call it. And when, uh, are you going to be most, your effect, uh, most effective when you're in, you know, relaxed mode. And it might be that you end up with a situation where preparation is 70% endeavor, 30%, you know, laughs and giggles okay. and the, competition might be the flip side. It might be yeah. 70%, uh, you know, laughs and giggles and, you know, uh, great to see you, etc. And maybe the 30% there is the the 30% where you are running around the squash court trying to um, get to a, a, a ball. I get that it's probably not particularly important that you're smiling whilst you're sort of diving halfway across the court because uh, you're trying to reach a ball. Um, but we can totally look um, uh, you know, unaffected by the fact that we've just lost the previous point mm-hmm. through our body language in the gap between points, for example.
0: Yeah, no, really good stuff. I really like that idea of, of lessening the, the, I suppose, the threat of competition. And, and that's where I think a lot of athletes see it. They see competition as yes. are prepared, prepared, prepared. And here's my chance to prove myself. And, and they frame it up as a bit yes. of a threat. And then everything becomes a little bit hyper tense. Do, do you talk to your athletes around that subject as well?
2: Yes, absolutely. That's, that's very well explained. Uh, That's exactly what happens. That's exact. It's, it's, you know, I I think one person said to me famously, you know, um, I, I think they said I envy a business person who gets to prove themselves every day. Okay. And what they, what, that's what they were talking about. They were like, I think I forget the sport. Um, I'm getting too old now. It was an Olympic sport. Um, I work with a lot of shooters, so I suspect it was one of those. And it was like, well, you know, I've got one day, once every four years, to basically uh, prove this. And and you are completely correct. That is entirely the wrong way of going about things. That is putting the the cart before uh, the horse. Um, Uh, and the, 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 the way that we're trying to do things now and fortunately getting a lot more support from, you know, other sectors, you know, you know, people such as yourself who might not necessarily have had the same formal, you know, training as, as we have, but you're entirely, um, uh, sort of aware of the general concept. So, you know, if I, if I, if I was working with one of your squash players, for a short period of time, it would be a breeze relatively compared to some of the work we do, because your messages aren't being contradicted by my messages, which is still very common. You know, often, you know, uh, we are the ones to say, you know, let's focus on the processes and we'll let the outcomes take care of themselves. And everyone else, the coach is saying, stuff, the processes, you know, yeah, we need, we need to win. Otherwise I'm fired. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I would, I would very much be sort of thinking it, uh, thinking about it uh, along those lines.
3: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com
1: slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
0: there's the third topic I want to get into, but I think this will be a lovely link between the two. Uh, So staying just with this idea of, of converting training into performance, uh, I spoke with an athlete uh, and and she was retired, but you know, you know, uh, world champion, world number one. And she went through the process of, she felt she was owed the win. And what she said there, she was training harder than anyone in the top 10. She was eating better. She was, she knew it. She knew that everything was better than all of the top 10, but she wasn't getting those results. And she talked around the whole concept of two things, acceptance and mental softening. And I thought that was a really interesting way that that I think when athletes train hard and they they leave no stone unturned, there's almost this feeling of going, I'm owed this now. But as we know, sport is unpredictable and anything can happen on mm. the day. So what comes to mind when 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 I when I say that sentence and, and mm. where does your mind go?
2: Yeah. So my mind goes um exactly as yours did there. And that is, well, I mean, the first thing is is this this Link between um, processes and outcomes. So one of the things I'm not sure we've spoken about is we sort of clarified, you know, outcomes, uh, results, uh, winning, uh, whether it be a point or a match or a, a tournament. Uh, processes, you know, actions, um, you know, very much in line with uh, preparation. Um, but the, I suppose the the thing we've not spoken about is this this other very common belief which is the link between the processes and the outcomes in other words the if i'm going to get really geeky here and go back to my stats yeah, days, is exactly. talk about the the uh, the r value an r an r value of one means that it's it, the, the, you know you know you basically thing a caused thing b right so it's basically the re- if 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 thing a changes by a little bit, thing B changes by a little bit. So an R value of one. An R value of zero means that thing A and thing B have got nothing to do with each other. They're yeah. completely separate, right? So the higher the R value, closer to one, the more the two things are cause and effect, cause and effect. Most people think the R value between preparation and outcomes is or higher it's not 0.9 it's way lower than that right it's probably around 0.5 or 0.6 okay so what that tells us is that you can do absolutely everything that you had hoped to do that you were told to do etc etc and there is still a very reasonable chance that you're not going to uh win or achieve the outcomes that you are you are you are aiming for so the concept that you are owed um any of the outcomes is 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 obviously um incorrect mm-hmm. um how i would reframe that with somebody who was saying you know i'm owed uh you know the outcome would be you know essentially going back to processes and saying can we just be more curious About the different possible outcomes that may take place, Mm -hmm. and when you throw the word curiosity into it, you immediately or very quickly, most of the time, you normally remove that sense of, of well, I, you know, I'm due, or it's my turn, or I'm I'm owing it, because you know, by definition, curiosity is, you know, oh, look, let's see what what happens. Um, There's an out. Yeah, there's an outstanding. podcast and the name fails i might need to email it to you you might want to put it in your notes so yep. i'm sure you would have followed dan abraham's yes. um, podcast the sports oh, like oh, show yeah, sports it's like is show. it is it sally someone or other who's a rower and um i can't remember the episode it's a really really powerful episode that uh, i'll send you the link to okay, you yeah, know I've, I've only
0: i've, I've note. only recently got into the sports psych like show but yeah what i've unpacked so far some really, really insightful stuff there. So, yeah, great recommendation. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. That's. Uh, yeah. And, 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 yeah, I was just saying that, that,
2: uh, that, um the reason that podcast came to mind, that interview with the Roa, was because she, she was a, she, uh, I think Sally was her first name. I forget the last name. She went to about four Olympic Games. And it was only when she went to the fourth one with curiosity that she actually, Start, she actually did well. So this is a this is a really interesting paradox where we are most likely to achieve outcomes when we are less um, focused on the outcomes. It's very very paradoxical, you know. It's like you know, let's see where we come, um, and it's for the reasons that we've you know already explained, and that you know, if you are going into an Olympic event or a, any event where you're like, well, you know, if I stuff this up, I've got to wait four more years. I mean, you know, it's almost a dictionary dictionary definition thought that you wouldn't want to have if you want to, wanted to do something well is, Oh, if I stuff this one up, then I've got to wait four more years. You know, what about let's, let's trust the last four years and see what happens. How about that as a mindset?
0: yeah bloody difficult one i can imagine but yeah that that's the conversations sports psychologists coaches need to have with athletes but love that you use that word curiosity because yeah it's definitely a word that i'm trying to use in my language when when i'm working with players but that i think links us really nicely to the the third thing we wanted to dive into you put out a, a really cool video on instagram the other day about psychological boosters uh talk about non-traditional ones and, and in particular about about nature and i thought it was a great video mm. i shared it with a few of my friends and some family and, and they were like that's a really good way to put it so, So, can you expand on that—the whole idea of some non-traditional psychological boosters?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, this is this is an area that we're playing around with a little bit uh, more. My my colleagues and I condor performance in that. I think when you think of psychology, um, most of the time, you know, you've got this idea of, you know, maybe uh, dialogue, two people talking, maybe one of the. One of, the, one of the people is a professional, maybe they're a psychologist or, or or a therapist, and that most of the advice, if we could call it that, or interventions are what I would call very psychological. So, you know, it might be that there's a uh, somebody with depression, you know, so they're talking about stuff like, you know, not wanting to, you know, get out of bed or, or not feeling, you know, particularly enthusiastic. And a lot of the interventions or the the boosters that that are being uh sort of recommended are you know kind of what I would call very uh, obvious um, and where and the, and and these these there's nothing wrong with these suggestions they 're absolutely fine um, but they come from a very narrow set of ideas um, by their very definition, so there's not that many of them you know and hence why if we talk a little bit about you know clinical psychology or, or, or mental health, uh, that's why so many people who, who who have mental health issues are on some kind of pharmaceutical. Because of course, part of that very narrow um, set of interventions for psychological problems are well, take some drugs and you won't feel that way anymore. And you know, in certainly in recent months, um, I've been thinking a lot more about how some of the stuff that is all around us um, and uh, very often free. Um, So readily available for, you know, zero, you know, zero dollars, zero pounds, zero, zero rand is, is, is potentially as effective, maybe even more effective in certain situations than some of those traditional, more, Obvious ones, and I think the video you're referring to, I think, was my mum uh, is based in Wagga Wagga, in New South Wales. You can Google it; it's a real place, W A G G A W A G <laughs> G A, and uh, it's in the middle of New South Wales, a uh, big country town. And it's, it's, it, my mum's got an apartment on on a river there, and the river is, um, it's clean, it's it's safe, it's cold, um, it's always cold. I think it's melted snow from the snow mountains or something along. Those lines. And whenever I go and see her, and I saw her a couple of weeks ago when I did that video, whenever I go and see her, I I just get into the habit twice a day, every day, talking about processes. I go for uh, a quick dip in the river. Sometimes I'll go for a run before I go for a dip. But the thing that I'll always do, 20 minutes in the river uh, in the evening, sorry, in the morning, in the evenings. And I was really reflecting about how, how that set me up for the day without me having to really do anything sophisticated. So mm-hmm. I was reflecting on how some of the things that we might not link with um, psychological improvement uh, may be some of the most effective, you know, and I suppose just think about people who might be listening to this. There's some big areas that they can tap into. I mean, the, 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 the first one is, is, is the outdoors, right? So just, getting outside you know unless you live in you know siberia in the middle of winter you know you can get outside you can physically you know even if you live in a city you can you can get out there so the outdoors the natural environment Mm. uh, i think is is an aladdin's cave of things that you can do to you know improve um you know mental health well-being and you know just overall uh, motivation, But also the other big area is people, is uh, other human beings, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm often amazed at how uh, infrequently um, people realize that, you know, by uh, going and spending some time uh, with somebody that they just like the company of can have a massive impact on, um, on, on how they feel um you know it's such an underrated and of course most of the time you know uh, whether it be just go you know go go for a coffee or you know go for a go for a drink or whatever it is um uh, most of the time it costs you know virtually nothing and the great thing about the the using other people or or you know spending time with other people uh, is of course not only are you benefiting from it but someone else is as well you know so if i reflect if I reflect back to my, my my swimming in the in the river in Wagga, to be honest, the river didn't care, right? <laughs> Let's just be frank about this. Like the river didn't wasn't like, well, thank you for that, Gareth. You know, the river didn't care. But you know, when we went and hung out with some of my mum's friends afterwards, you know, at the local coffee shop, that's that was that was that was powerful. You know, it's it's me benefiting from there from that and then you know some of her friends who I haven't seen for a long time, you know, and you get this sort of knock on effect. So I, I, I was ref- just reflecting that I would invite people to uh really um increase their bandwidth of things that they think about or consider mm-hmm. when they're trying to improve um anything psychological because it's it's very possible that some of the most effective things um are and are are not that obvious and are free and bountiful all around them
0: Mm. man a really strong message there and and yeah hopefully more people can hear your video and and just on this platform i really think there is something there it's you know there's there's the formal psychology side you know you sit down with a psychologist and it can get a bit heavy and deep sometimes but i love that idea Mm. of of that informal that you know just just what's within touching distance nature outdoors, friends, family. But what you said there really resonated in regard to the effect you have on other people as well. There's a great podcast. Um, Simon Mundy runs a show called Don't Tell Me the Score. He had a, I think, doctor, I forget his name now, but he's called the Kindness Doctor. And he's done, mm. he's done a long studies over many years about what kindness does, firstly to yourself, but the knock-on effect to other people. Mm. And basically it's five to the power of three. So if you, it goes through three, different like kind of not generations but three different um touch points so if i'm kind to one person that person is now kind to another five people and that goes three times of that. So it's, it, it, but it's all based on mm. stats and data on when someone is just as kind as opening the door for someone or just doing something nice. And I actually think mm. there's a huge psychological, like you said, psychological booster. So that video really resonated because I saw it at the similar time as I listened to that podcast. And yeah, I just think being kinder to ourselves, being kinder to other people can have a huge knock on effect. But then the second thing that came from that is sounds like you're channeling your inner a Wim Hof uh, are, you, are you into Wim Hof
2: <laughs> uh so Wim Hof Wim Hof yeah who's Wim Hof again Iceman,
0: Iceman. he's the guy who jumps in those ice things. oh yes the cold guy he's always jumping oh yes and he's all about breathing and cold cold therapy he says oh the yes morning, cold That's right. yeah so he's a, a proper out there kind of dude so how was the coldness 20 minutes in that river that must have been pretty interesting
2: yeah well that that there is a there is a little bit of science behind that so I think I've got a uh, what's the, what's the name? So I've got a really good uh, friend from the UK. I might give him a plug now. So Thomas Payne, his name is, uh, he's he's a clinical psychologist based in the UK. Uh, very, very good one. And uh, he, he, he and I, we were at the university of Leeds together. Um, uh, and he uh, put me onto something called vagal toning. Now w- w- Vagal toning, I believe is the word that's used to describe what happens to your nervous system when it's, exposed to very cold temperatures uh, for a safe period of time. And the research that they've basically done is that for some reason, when you spend a short uh, amount of time in either, you know, very cold air or um, much much more sort of much easier to to manipulate because you can put ice in a bath, a very cold water. Um, is this thing called vagal toning, which is basically the opposite of uh, what happens when you get stress? So a very effective sort of anti-stress uh, measure. So um, I uh, yeah, I- I'm quite keen on a bit of sort of natural cold. Therapy. I'm also very interested. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very interested in the fact that you know. I think the temperature in the river in Wagga is about twelve degrees. So it's cold, but it's not ridiculous, right? It's 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 very cold, but it's not ridiculous. Um, I'm also very interested in what happens to the mind. Yes, that's what I was getting. It, from, yeah. Yeah, because, of course, what happens, even though I've done it lots and lots of times, is the first two or three minutes is unbelievably hard, right? And it's a fantastic opportunity to do some some mental training where by the first two minutes, your brain is doing what it's supposed to do, your your, your thoughts. And it's just saying, get out, get out, get out. Just like literally, it's like, what are you doing in here? Get Get out, get out, get out. It's amazing. It's like this megaphone. And then... With probably about a minute in, it starts to accept the situation, and we used that word before, didn't we, Jesse? Yeah. Curious, it becomes. It's like, oh, it's not. Um, it's not as cold as 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 it as it was, and suddenly, um, your mind starts to sort of become quite accepting of those. You know, sort of different sensations and so on, to the point where, and I don't know if anyone else has gotten this, but to the point where, at the end of the twenty minutes, it actually feels quite hot. Oh, wow. um, I'm not talking about; it. um, I, it's literally like the 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 the, uh, the senses um, on your skin uh, get confused between very cold and very hot. And I think that's there's something in there. I think people who have described sort of getting frostbite at the very end, they stop right. shivering. And that actually experience, um, it's like it's burning. Um, Yes, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, certainly the idea of um, of of you know you know put yourself um, in uh, in some cold uh, liquid or in some cold uh, situations, um, and basically what you're doing is um, you know you are you are giving yourself an unbelievably safe. Mm -hmm. Um, no side effect, no prescription required, um, anti-stress pill is what you're doing. And I often reflect, I've got still plenty of uh, friends back in the UK and we get all the mumblings around Christmas, you know, like it's, 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 you know, and I'm like, hang on a second. If you were... I was like, do you realize like, you know, you don't need, you could go out in your underpants into your back garden. You don't need to do anything illegal. Right. Do you realize like how hard it is? It's summer here. Also was coming to the summer. Like my wife, like, you know, she's like, where's the ice. I'm like, I put it in the bath. Sorry. You know, she's like, Oh, Lisa. <laughs> like, cause, cause I'll be filling the bath up and I'll be sticking ice in. And I'm like, Oh, I only got it down to 15 degrees that, you know, that won't cut it. Um, so try and, try and think of the, uh, the, 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 the winter that you get every year as an unbelievably good opportunity to do some vagal toning and lower your stress levels. Um, and then, of course, in the summer, when the sunlight comes out, that'll do the same thing as well. So you've got the ideal combination there in the UK, and you should be bragging about <laughs> your weather variations to the rest of the world rather than complaining
0: amazing well i'm actually really excited to see if they if they start doing some um some neuroscience on the brain dur- during cold therapy it could be quite interesting to see actually what's happening in there and like you said you have to tough it out for a couple of minutes and, and how you then short-circuiting and rewiring the brain a little bit there i think there's something there and wim hof is pretty much he admits it he he's found all the stuff by accident he's no scientist he literally was doing this yeah. and then he's like hey wow this is like accidentally making me feel x y and z And then he's been researched a lot and he's been, you know, written about in journals and done TED talks. And yeah, it almost feels like his accident is now like leading the science side of things, which I think is really, really cool and interesting. Um, But that, that leads me Mm. on to my my next little bit, um, because I'm conscious I'm running out of time, but I want to get these last couple of things in. Um, Talk to me about your latest Condor Performance Conference, um, what you took from it, what you were able to share and learn. It looked really cool. I, I looked at some of the pictures. How did that go for you?
2: Yeah. So that was, it was very good. It was about three weeks ago. Now we caught up uh, in Sydney, um, not the whole team, obviously because of COVID um, getting you know, 11 people into the same place uh, over two days is, is uh, it's even beyond, it's even beyond me, Jesse. So we got six, six of us uh, um, and um, total coincidence that it happened to be six men. So uh We won't tell you about what happened in the evenings, you know, after a couple of after a couple of uh, couple of drinks. But no, it was it was very good. Um, the The main thing that we focused on uh, during the conference was, um, I suppose, the the uh, the the various different things that we all do uh, individually that sometimes the rest of us wouldn't be aware of. You know, so I mean, we're all qualified psychologists. uh, We're all Registered psychologists here, and the way we work at Condor Performance is we we basically trust. There's that word again that the psychologist uh, knows how to, um, you know, the the athlete or the coach or the performer um, in the best possible way. So we don't like to micromanage, you know, what we would call intervention strategies or anything like that. I mean, basically they can sort of pretty much do whatever they want, but what we became aware of is the fact that, you know, I might have developed a particularly um, good um, concept that I'm using, you know, with my clients. Um, I'll give you a really good example. You know, you can do this. Anyone can do this. You basically do a five by five table. So it makes 25 cells on the left-hand side. You have five different levels of importance. Mm -hmm. So you've got an importance scale, At the highest, very important, you know, uh, or extremely, very, somewhat, a little bit, and then unimportant. Along the bottom, you've got influence, okay, from none, a bit, some, lots, and a huge amount. And you've got then 25 options where you need to then put um, how much influence and importance that you think on. Now, I've been doing this now for quite some time. I find it to be amongst one of the most effective mental skills that I use because what it allows people to do is to go, well, for example, the weather, you know, I'm a a cricketer. Uh, The weather is extremely important to me because it'll change my tactics, maybe whether we we win. So it's extremely important, but I've got no influence on it. So I'm not going to spend any time complaining about it, but I am going to be very observant about it. Whereas any other combination – would potentially be a bit risky if we're like, well, they, you've got no influence on the weather. So forget about it. That's negligent for a, a cricketer who needs to know that information. So what we do at the conference is we basically just sit down and go, well, these are some of the ideas that I've been using. Um, and if you, if you guys want to use them, uh, by all means, if you think it could be that it, it could be better, uh, then let me know. And we do it once a year. It's, it's two days, uh, and it's pretty extreme, you know, it would be like us sitting down for two full days and talking about these things as interesting yeah. as they are, they're mentally challenging, you're probably going to go for a sleep after this and cancel your <laughs> 1030 appointment. So we we sit down and we go through, you know, mostly the strategies that we've developed and it could be stuff we've picked up from a podcast. It could be from a formal journal article. Mm. It could be from any any source. It doesn't really matter. Um, as long as the person can then say, well, I've I've got enough confidence in this that I can then share it with the rest of the, the team. And it's, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, we critique it, you know, fairly harshly. Um, and, you know, people might then, Having used a particular uh, strategy for for a few months might then decide well actually that that 's not quite as good as I thought it was going to be so the the idea is that we we get down we, you know we meet once a year and that you know in a relatively short space of time a relatively short sacrifice of time, we feel like we um, improve uh, an, an awful lot um, at, at what we do and i'm, I'm, I'm always I'm always fascinated by the fact that, you know, every year we do this, we're like, yeah, we really now are hitting, we, we like, we surely can't improve anymore, you know? And then next year we're like, ah, oh, we really taken it to a next level. And then it keeps happening and it keeps yeah. happening and it keeps happening. I think the Japanese refer to it as Kaizen, constant improvement. And that's absolutely the feeling that we get. It's like, you just keep on improving until, one day we all
0: die. Well, wow. I was going to say that's amazing until you said we all die, but everything besides that sounded amazing. And I love that. Yeah. Group knowledge, group sharing, um, you know, you all sound like you're, you're deep thinkers in, and you're really investigating the, these things and challenging them. But just tell me a little bit more about that 25 um, grid. So when do you use that? Is yeah. that for performance? Is that for training? Uh, w- w- when does that get used for anything?
2: Now? Okay. Anything, anything. So, I mean, what I would be doing first and foremost, so, you know, do the grid, easy, just do it anywhere. So it's a, it's a table with five rows and five columns, influence along the bottom, importance along the top. So the, 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 the box on the top right-hand corner, if you could mentally picture it, is the stuff where you would put the, you've got the most amount of influence on it and it's extremely important, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So what I would be doing is I would be, first of all, I'd be saying to people, okay, just put down everything that you think about, you know, like where, so where's, where does winning go? Where does training go? You know, where does, you know, your family go? Where does the past, present, future go? You know, where does um, anything that you think about, but afterwards you'd probably want to then play around with it uh, a little bit, you know, and going back to some of the stuff that we've spoken about, Uh, Today And previously, um, one of the most interesting things that you can do is to have a list of processes Mm
1: -hmm.
2: um, and have a list of outcomes. So a list of common processes and common outcomes for your sport and then put those into the grid and see where they end up. So see where winning the squash match goes compared with making sure that you do your 30 minutes of stretching every morning see where they end up because you may find that some of the outcome is very high on importance mm-hmm. but very low on influence mm. and you may find that some of the processes are low on importance mm-hmm. but very high on influence and therefore you've got a you've got a decision to make mm. you have to de- you have to then decide are you going to be more driven by what's important by what you have more influence on and normally when people do that exercise they end up with a situation where the 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 box on the top right hand side is full of preparation processes we call them so the things that um they may not necessarily start off by saying that they think that they're the most important but um you know after a few different conversations and all the other stuff this, that we've spoken about, you know, winning and so on and so forth is normally somewhere somewhere else. And, and the reason we do that, the reason why I like to do that with people that I work with is because, you know, nobody really benefits from, you know, the psychologist or the coach or whatever saying, focus on the processes because they're better, you know, or because, you know, I heard it on a podcast or whatever. You really have to know the reason and it comes back to what, We've said time and time again, and that is the amount of influence you have on your processes mm-hmm. is so much greater than the amount of influence that you have on the outcomes that you might be dreaming about achieving through those processes. And so we, we, we're really trying to start the conversation from the very beginning mm-hmm. by explaining exactly why that is and it boils down to the combination of influence um and importance but really it's a brand new mental skill that we've only just started developing and to be honest people can sort of use it for you know anything that they want to you could imagine you could um you could fill the entire table with people you know
0: Mm, you could
2: literally the whole the whole table could be you know um you know who's the person in your life that you have the most amount of influence on who, who, if you said, Hey, you know, Jesse, geez, I really need your help with this thing would be there and who is the most important and who are the people who you have the least influence on and who are the least important. And maybe that is a guide on who you catch up with for coffee on a, on a, on a, on a Saturday morning, even when you don't need anything, maybe it's a, it's a guide on, on how to, you know, uh, improve some already very good relationships so that you take those to the next level. So we haven't really thought it through, but I'm guessing it's going to just be a kind of a, I would almost imagine like you imagine, imagine like you could have a pad made up, you know, that you could buy, you know, um, and, you know, so you've got 500 of those tables, you know, and you're sitting there in the morning having your coffee and you're like, okay, today I'm going to do, you know, I don't know, um, everything related to, you know, the, my physical training. Okay, everything related to my physical training. So you're then gonna to have to think about, you know, your actual, you know, uh, fitness, um, and where that would go versus the work that you would potentially put in to improve your fitness, that's got to go into a different box. And then you feel that a, another day, it might be entirely match, match related. So everything on the piece of paper is about, um you know um uh getting to the getting to the to the venue preparing to play your game you know rolling your shoulders back before you serve you know as you said etc so the whole thing uh, and then i don't know what you do with i don't know i don't know what you do when you finish your 500 <laughs> sheets I don't know, you start a gate or something
0: yeah like well it could it could almost be like a daily habit thing i check in each morning mm. where You could pick different topics honestly you've got my cogs turning there so much thinking for me what you've said there feels like a real strong version of of would don't even want to call it goal setting, but, but but real influence on what you can do. I, I think there's something that you've got some goal there. I think there's something hmm. really, really cool there. So no, thanks for sharing. And I'm going to probably just Google a little bit of this and on my pad and have a little look at where it can fit and stuff. Um, brilliant. It sounds a really cool thing. And I, I do look forward to hearing whether it's a blog or a video you put out about it, which would be really cool. Hmm. But that leads me to my last little bit is around um, your latest blogs around the performance mindset. They've been really interesting to read. Mm. It was originally going to be a, a book, I believe, but now you're sharing it yes. in chunks on the blog. Uh, can you expand on this and, and, and why it didn't become a book and became more of a blog? Mm.
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So again, uh, this is two years ago. Um, so going back to Wagga, uh, my mom has an apartment there and uh, sometimes... Um, because I've got young kids and I live on a, a rural property, sometimes it just gets a bit too much. And so I just need a week um, of going and just hunkering down and just being able to focus from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, excluding my two dips in the river, of course, mm-hmm. um, on, on, on a project. And I, it was about two years ago that I realized that I sort of been working for long enough that some of the, ideas that I had uh, I really wanted to sort of safeguard them you know I mean you know in case I got kidnapped or whatever Um, and so I just and it was about the time you know where good voice to text uh, technology was around you know and so um, I thought I'll just spend a whole week in Wagga and I'm just going to blurt out voice to text as much as I possibly could Um, and got through about three quarters of what would probably be a complete book. And the thing that I was most interested in doing is I really wanted to write something that was much more applied, like literally go and do this thing, you know, as opposed to full of anecdotes, you know, there's thousands of books out there. You know, I I remember, um, I remember the Bob Teller books about, um, all about, you know, sort of. Um, you know the mental side of golf I remember reading them when I was young and they're great and they're still sort of well regarded but there's not a lot of advice in those books you can go through all of them and you're not you're not going to get a lot of suggestions to go and apply to your golf on on a Monday morning and I wanted it to be very almost like a recipe it's like just just do some of these things and you'll end up with you know, potentially a good cake. Of course, mm-hmm. the actual cake is an outcome, so we don't know for sure if it will come out good. Um, so, hence, potentially a good cake. And I, I I, ran out of steam about three quarters of the way through, put it in a file, didn't even think about it.
0: Okay.
2: Um, and then earlier this year, uh, you know, when I was sort of thinking about things that I and, – and going back to what I was saying previously about the fact that the conference means that every year we update – Uh, what we do because the two years have passed the ideas in there are now not quite what I would write about if I was to, 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 to do it again. Um, um, It would need a math. It would need a pretty significant rewrite. I mean, just talking about that, uh, the, the influence by importance grid that's not mentioned anywhere in there and that would now be central to, to a new book. And so I thought, well, what do I do? I, I spent, I think in total, it's about sort of 70,000 words. It's book length. And I thought, well, what do I do? I mean, I, you know, I could sort of just ignore it. And then it, 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 it dawned on me that's, um, you know, the blog now, the mental toughness digest is, it's got some quite reasonable uh, followers. Mm. Um, and so I was like, well, I could turn it into an ebook, you know, and sort of, you know, uh, give it away. And then I thought, well, hang on a second. It's, it's quite a, it's quite a lengthy text. Now, so what I'll do is I'll make it super clear at the beginning that it's it's not brand new, um, that it was written a couple of years ago. I think I say that at the beginning. And then all I'll do is I'll just add the amount each two weeks, every two weeks when it comes out, that I would expect busy people such as yourself who have things to do to want to read without, um, you know, them spending, you know, the entire weekend, you know, trying to get through it. And of course, that's also linked to what we're saying. And that is that um, the stuff that we do, the stuff that we talk about, the stuff we write about, it is quite mentally difficult, you know, mm-hmm. like you you refer to the fact that your cogs are, are turning. You don't want those cogs to be turning for too long, for too much of your waking time. And so I thought, I'll just put out little little chunks. I think there's four or five up there. I think there's about four or five to go. Uh, The only thing that's a bit tricky and you're one of the first people to know about this. So I I don't know. I don't know uh, uh, what we can do about this, but because the book's not finished after the 10th chunk, it's just going to stop. There's nothing else. (laughs) There's there's just this, there's this awkward section missing at the end where um, I don't know, maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll invite people to, contribute by putting um suggestions in the in the suggestion box or or whatever or just put oh we just put a big disclaimer yeah or but just put put a big disclaimer saying sorry um you know this is why uh, i didn't i didn't publish it and why you're not paying for it it's because it's half finished and you get you get what you get sorry about that
0: <laughs> hey but listen it's, it's a great read i'm enjoying going through them um some of the messages really resonate with me so and thank you for sharing it because i think the more people can hear about it the more people can get their their, their coaching philosophies better or the way they speak with their athletes i think it's really really powerful stuff man and that's how we connected i, I think i sent you an email out like out the blue saying mm. hey, great work i'm loving what you're doing and and then i thought for myself I Actually, let's Let's jump on and have these type of chats, so listen, Gareth Moll. It's been an absolute treat again for me this um It's been great to take a few topics and go really deep with it. So thank you so much for your time and and listen. Good luck with everything coming up and before I know it, you're probably going to be one hour ice bathing and, and and really getting stuck into that yeah
2: yeah well maybe the third installment maybe i should be in the ice bath
0: <laughs> no, there you go. You've got it. i think i think we've already set up our third installment so we'll, we'll have to pick it yeah. up at some point but listen good luck with everything um i would love to touch base again i think our conversations take loads of different paths there's definitely more stuff i'd love to talk to you about but thank you very much gareth thanks jesse presence process persistence the essence of squash mind